Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Well, it's good to see you guys in the flesh. Hey, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Carl had that great idea to put uh, everybody up on Zoom. So uh, I, I wish you guys could have seen it. Maybe you did when you got to see like on the camera from the back. But, but what it was like was standing here and there was like four cameras like right in front of you. And then there was a TV right there that I could see myself, like I could see the broadcast, but then there's a, this big whole screen where I could see all the Zoom faces. And I, I kept being like, I don't know where to look. I don't know what to do. This is amazing. People are looking back at me. And uh, I was looking at this, uh, this is probably an inside little secret, I don't know, but I was looking at the way we set up the chairs as well today too, and I was thinking we might have to look over here. But uh, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But uh, as Pastor Carl said, and uh, we're going to continue on with the uncomplicated uh, relationship series, which is just, for me, such an amazing oxymoron. Uncomplicated for relationships. But I love the little uh, the tagline or the, the little subtitle that comes along with it, bringing godly clarity to relational complexity. Godly clarity to relational complexity. Because you know what? Relationships can be complicated and they can be very, uh, very difficult, a source of a lot of stress and strain in your lives, right? But sometimes all you need is just a little bit of clarity, just a little bit of perspective, right? Sometimes just a little bit of perspective will switch everything. And all of a sudden, what was a really difficult, uh, a horrendous situation or problem? Just that little bit of clarity comes and boom, it's a totally different world, totally different situation. So godly clarity to relational complexity. And uh, I, was, I was actually going to say what Pastor Carl said. Sometimes you see people, their, uh, their relationship status is, it's complicated. I mean, you don't even know what your situation is. You don't even know what your status is sometimes. But you know what? I've, I've learned this about relationships. And I, I don't think I'm that old, but I've, I've experienced a little bit of stuff. Um, but as a, an amazing introvert like myself, I, I'm, I'm like 100% introvert if you do those um, Myers-Briggs things. But uh, so coming from me, this is, this is really big, I think. But uh, relationships are important. <laughs> they actually matter. <laughs> You know what I mean? It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. If you think you're the kind of person that can fly solo and do everything by yourself, you're actually not. You know what I mean? Even, even, if, you, even if that's the identity that you've embraced and the story you've told yourself about yourself, the good news is, is that God has a space for you and relationships and a place in his family for you. And that's what we're going to talk about today, a little bit about family, because family really matters. It really does. So relationships, you got to know this right off the get-go. And I apologize for this hair. I tried to get a haircut so you wouldn't have to see all this shag. But it's just, look at <clears throat> Relationships are God's idea. Yeah. Family is God's idea. Yeah. So he's the one to blame. <laughs> God, it's the woman you gave me. God, it's the man you stuck me with. Just kidding. Don't do that. Don't blame God. But they're his idea. We're made to function best as, as uh, people in relationship. And one thing you got to know about God is God actually is a giant relationship. You can't think about God without thinking about relationships. When you think about it in a Christian sense, when we say God, we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
When we say Father, we're talking about the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we talk about Jesus, we're talking about the only begotten Son of the Father. When we say Holy Spirit, we're saying the Spirit of Yahweh, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Jesus. So even God is known in his relationships. And what it means for us as people to be made in the image of God is that we actually can't know ourselves either outside of and apart from relationship. We were designed to function in relationships with one another, but before we can do that successfully, find our place and function in family, you really got to know who you are. And I want to posit to you this morning that you really can't know who you are unless you're prepared to identify yourself in your relationship with the relational God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the beautiful thing about that is you can see yourself in Christ Jesus plopped right down in the middle of that relationship. And you have a father, you have a savior, you have a comforter and a helper because you've been plopped right in the middle of the most amazing relationship that ever has been and ever will be. So we need to know ourselves by God. We need to define ourselves by God. We need to let him be our identity. And that's really, really important in the day and age that we're living in right now. I mean, if you think about some of the things that COVID has done, it's, it's wrecked a lot of people's worlds, if I'm being honest with you. It's put strain on relationships. It's, it's put strain on people's employment. It's touched people in the place of their identity. You know, if you got your identity in your job and all of a sudden what you used to do, you can't do, or you've got your identity in your external relationships with other people and all of a sudden you're experiencing a little bit of isolation, people are left asking themselves, well, if I'm not this, who am I? And if I'm not defined by my job and I'm not defined by what I'm able to do and my contribution, then what's left when I'm just sitting at home and it's just me by myself, who am I? How do I connect with people? That's one of the big crises of identity that COVID has exposed. So here's, here's a little story out of Genesis that I think is really, really helpful, really, really powerful that helps us to redirect our focus where we get identity in moments like this. And it's the story of Jacob and Rachel. And uh, they're moving on from Bethel. They're on their way, Genesis 35 or 16 to 18. They're moving on from Bethel while there's still a distance from Ephrath, wherever that is. Rachel starts to give birth. She goes into labor, and the Bible says that she's giving, she's giving birth in incredible difficulty, and it, it's actually a tragic story. It's very sad, but she starts to give birth. She goes into labor, and something happens. Something goes wrong. Rachel, the midwife, everybody starts to realize, wow, Rachel's not going to come through this. She's going to die giving childbirth, giving birth, and, and the midwife tries to comfort her and says, don't despair. This, your son's going to be okay. Your child's going to make it. You've given birth to a son. And these are kind of the last words that she hears. And it says that in Rachel's dying breath, what she does is she takes the child and gives him the name Ben-Oni. Ben-Oni means child of my struggles, son of my sorrows. This child got an identity put on him, basically, by the struggles and the, the, the difficulties and the pain and the stresses of the situation and of her mother. And you know what? Sometimes we can struggle in life, fight, grasp for air, move from one difficult scenario and situation to the next because we've embraced an identity that's been put on us in a place of struggle. Sometimes we try to cope, sometimes we try to get through, and we form an identity for ourselves, or we embrace a narrative about ourselves that's actually come from a place of pain and struggle, and it's a coping mechanism rather than something strong and something that comes from God. So what, the, uh, what Jacob does, the child's father, see, this isn't the end of the story for the kid. The father gets involved. Jacob, it says in Genesis 35, verse 18, but the father, the father took the child and renamed him. He took the child and renamed him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. 
son of power, son of strength. And if you can hear this, there's, a, there's a, a voice from the Father speaking into your life to give you identity, to set identity in your life that reorientates you and your sense of self from being something that came out of struggle and difficulty to the son of my right hand, the son of my power. There's a, there's a voice from God. There's a relationship with the Father. There's an experience with Him. There's an inner testifying inside of you by the voice of your Father that's speaking identity and life to you. And it comes directly from the Father. It doesn't come from your pain. It doesn't come from your struggle. It doesn't come from difficulty. So that's what we got to hear. That's what we got to cling to. Because before we get involved in, in, in uh, making healthy contributions, I'll say, to relationships and family, you got to know that your family and the people in your world have not been put there in order to satisfy you or in order to complete you. Right. You come to family and you come to relationships with something to bring, something to give. Yes. And you know what? You get that from the Father. So, a little bit of, just, just to set this up, a little bit of Christianity kind of 101. It's we, you and I, the church, humanity, we were designed to reveal God. Isn't that amazing? Our, our existence, the reason for our existence, why God made us was so that he could put himself on display through us. And you find it all the way through the Bible. We are made in his image. You know, something happened. We fell. We've been restored. We've been recreated. The church is that place where the manifold wisdom of God is revealed. But God decided that I want to be known. I want to be seen and I want to be understood. So the in, in, invisible God who dwells in unapproachable light decided that I'm going to make myself visible and seen through the medium of these people I'm going to make in my image. And I'm going to put them in relationships with me and with each other. And it's that relationship, it's the family that God's put us in that is actually the context in which God is seen and revealed. So last week, Pastor Carl said, for beauty and clarity to be revealed, you need context. And family is the context where the nature and the kingdom of God are best displayed. It's family. It's in our relationships. You know, I, I want to do some amazing exploits for God. And you know what? I think God's going to be revealed and glorified through my life because I'm going to do some amazing things. But my real hope and my real expectation is God is revealed in my life through the quality of my connections and relationships with other people. That's where it's really at. And you know what? If you read Ephesians 4, that's actually where the strength and the life and the power for, for life, for ministry, for, for success in life comes. It's in the joints. It's in the connections. So, I mean, I, I've got some high expectations for the things I want to do. But I want to have good quality connections and good quality relationships. I want to have healthy family. Now, family, that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I'm going to just kind of just run through this real quick. Cause I actually, I have a five-page five version of notes, and I brought with me the 13-page version. So I'm going to do some Holy Spirit editing here. <laughs> but uh, you're all like, praise Jesus. But what I, what I want to say, though, is whatever your frame of reference is, even Merriam-Webster's dictionary, even they're confused about what family means because they, they, they identify the fact that it means different things to different people. Different people have had different family experiences. Some people, you know, it means different things to different people. It's a positive word for, for a lot of people. For other people, it's a bad word, you know? But here's the thing. Whatever your reference for family is, it's important to see this. Ephesians 3, verse 15. This is the Apostle Paul. And before he prays one of what I think is the most important and beautiful prayers in the whole Bible, he says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Isn't that powerful? The whole family is named from our Father in heaven. And that word, the whole family, it's an interesting word. In the Greek, it's the word pause. And it means all, the whole, or every kind. So whatever family looks like for you, here's one indisputable biblical feature of all families. 
families of every kind get their name from the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you can also read that to say that everybody in heaven and earth belongs in one family. There's two ways to read that. And both, I think, are accurate, which is one of the quirky things about why I think God chose Greek. But it's got different aspects, different meanings. But either way, God is the one from whom family comes. He is the one from whom every family is named. So whatever family looks like, I think there's a few things, however you want to define it, there's a few characteristics and features about family that, just a few observations that I want to share with you. When I consider the family of God, and I consider what I believe God wants for my, my family, however I define that. And the first is this, family is inclusive, family is messy, and that's okay. Family functions. So family is inclusive, first of all. Family is a place where we don't draw small circles, but we draw big ones. Family to me speaks of belonging. It speaks of acceptance. It speaks of a place where I'm free and comfortable to be who I am. And I'm fully embraced and fully accepted. And you know, you might be thinking, well, that's great, but that's not my experience of family. You know, sometimes people, their, their family experience is actually the exact opposite. This thing that can be the incredible source of blessing for you is actually a source of rejection and pain. But you know what God says? This is one of the, again, an amazing redemptive promise in the Bible. Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6. God describes himself as a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. So maybe your family, whatever it's been like, your blood family, your legal family, your consensual family, whatever family you identify, maybe it hasn't been a good one. Maybe you've experienced abandonment, pain, separation. Maybe your family's been a source of pain and imprisonment or impoverishment. It's left you bereft of love and care. But God says to you today, I'm a father to the fatherless. He says, I'm a defender of the widow. And he's got a place in his family for you where your father in heaven will never let you down. There's an elder brother, a bridegroom, who's never going to disappoint you. And you know what? We have to really get versed in that. We have to be able to tell people, become adept at communicating with people. Because to tell you what, it, there's, there's broken people out there. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of alienation. There's a lot of people that are experiencing brokenness in families. And families, that place, that, that like little nucleus that's supposed to be a place of incredible thriving and flourishing and blessing, oftentimes is a place of pain and dysfunction. And we, one of our amazing messages that we have is you are welcome in the house of God. You have a place in the family of God. Welcome home. Welcome home. See, I think for a long time that the Christian message, and this is just a big picture uh, thingy, but I think oftentimes it's been one of isolation. It's been one of seclusion, where what we've tried to do, and I think from good meaning ideas, we've been trying to protect the, the integrity of a born again experience or protect the integrity of the holiness of God. We've drawn small circles, and we said, this is, this is the small circle that is the family of God. And you know what? I'll tell you the five steps and the six ways that you can step in the circle and become part of the family. But I think that what we've done by doing that, for good reason, you know, whatever, for good intent, I think what happens when you do that and you make your circle really small is we eradicate and we pull out and destroy from the public consciousness one of the most amazing messages of Jesus, the earth-shattering message of the universal fatherhood of God. See, when you think about it, Jesus came to earth and he said, even to his disciples, a bunch of unregenerate Jewish men who are on the wrong side of the cross, who'd yet to be born again, who'd yet to have an accurate understanding of who God was, he said to them, you know what, when you pray, I want you to say, our Father. Right. Our Father. Right. Not my Father. Not you can say your Father in the future once you figure some stuff out. He said, our Father. 
He said, I want you to say, Our Father. And you know what? There, there, is, there is a born-again experience. There's a moment where by the Spirit of God, I come to realize, you know what? Uh, I belong to God. He is my Father. It's by the Spirit of God and only by the Spirit of God that I can realize internally and testify and cry out and say, Abba, Father. It's when I realize, acquiesce to the internal testifying of the Holy Spirit going on on the inside of me when he says, you are a child of God. It's all over the scriptures, everywhere. The Spirit of God is screaming to people, you're children of God. You, are in the, you belong in the house of God. You have a place in his family. God is your Father. See, we were all created in the image of God. Sin distorted that. Sin marred it. Sin was a problem. But you know what? Jesus dealt with sin. He dealt with it at the cross. He dealt with it at the cross, and he did that 2,000 years ago. I'm not waiting for him to do that today. He's done it. It's done. It's all done. It's all taken care of. We were made in the image of God. Sin marred it, but it never changed the fact that we had our origin in God. And if I can quote the prophet Isaiah, he says that basically the problem with Israel and the problem with humanity is what we've done is we've forgotten the rock from which we were hewn. But the church, we are that called out group of people who get to express and communicate to the world and show to the world, hey, you know what? This is what God looks like. He looks like healthy relationships. This is what humanity was designed to look like. This is who we are when we're flourishing in relationship with one another. And all of a sudden, the world's starting to say, wow, that's what I was made for? That's how I was designed to function? Wow. And all of a sudden, the world starts to know we're the disciples of Jesus because of our love. Isn't that cool? It's cool how that works. So our message really is welcome home. Welcome to the family of God. And it's not because we have a low view of what Jesus did. It's because we have an incredible high view. There's only one way. There's only one way. The way is narrow, but his name is Jesus. And when he stretched out his arms, he made it possible for everybody. Everybody. Number two, family is messy. And I want to stress the fact that that's okay. It's messy. Relationships are messy. Sometimes I think that's why God chose relationships, because it helps to draw out of you the reality of your co-crucifixion with Jesus. Relationships aren't trying to kill you. You died with Christ. But your relationship problems remind you of that. Just get close to somebody, I tell you. But like I said, relationships can be a source of pain. They can become a source of uh, uh, guilt and shame. Some of us have had relationship problems, and some of us feel like, you know, uh, taking on an identity based on that. And we don't have to. I mean, if you just look at God, he's, he's got some pretty funky relationships. And he's had some pretty funky relationships. I don't know if you know this, but God is divorced. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8, he says that he gave Israel a certificate of divorce. We live in a fallen world. Sometimes things break. Sometimes things fall apart. But you know what's not part of God's plan is shame and condemnation and guilt and letting something from the past that might even not even have been your fault, and even if it was, catch up to you and speak shame over your life. That's, that's not necessary. When you think about God's kids, when you think about his family, oh my goodness, like I'm a good example. I'm a child of God. Hang out with me for a day. You might be like, oh my goodness. You know what I mean? But we don't judge God based on the way that his kids act. And God's not certainly confused over, oh my goodness, I don't know if I'm a good parent or not. And he's not like, I don't know if I'm actually good because my children made some bad decisions. God's actually very secure in who he is. I don't know if you, as a parent today, it's kind of awkward, but I'll speak to the parents for a minute. But there's this experience called mom shaming or parent shaming. 
basically this, this experience you have where society, maybe the church, maybe people kind of put all sorts of idealistic expectations on you and say, unless you parent this way, unless your child looks like this, behaves like this, there's something wrong with you. It's, it's just kind of this weird thing. And it's, it's not just in the church. It's not just in the world. I mean, sometimes it's in the church and religious circles anyways. There's, there's a Christianized version of that. This is what your child must look like. This is how you must parent. This is how you do it. And oftentimes, I think it comes from idealistic notions of what we think parenting should look like or what we think our family should look like. And it's like our starting place is somebody says to us, this is what your family should look like, and this is how raising kids looks like. And then we try our hardest to conform to some, uh, you know, imposed upon notion of what that looks like. And oftentimes I think that some of these ideas are taken, if I'm going to be honest with you, out of outdated and out of context scripture verses. I mean, there's some crazy stuff in the Bible. I mean, look, listen to this stuff. I don't know if this appeals to you or not, but maybe some days it does, some days it doesn't, those of you with children. But Deuteronomy 28, 18 to 21, it says, hey, if a man has a, a stubborn, rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, though they discipline him and he won't listen, this is what you got to do. Take your rebellious son, take him to the elders in the city, complain to the elders, tell the elders how awful your child is, and then all the men in the city are going to grab stones and stone your kid. That way all of Israel is going to hear it and all of Israel is going to fear it. I mean, who's really going to take that advice? Right? Like, that, maybe that had a place, maybe that had a place in a time, in a culture a long time ago, but even that, I mean, that's horrible. Your kid disobeys, so we're going to stone him? That's great. I mean, that's an extreme example. But what I'm trying to say is sometimes that there's expectations and ways that are put on us and things that we get told about how we need to parent or what our family looks like, and it's actually the expectations, and it's actually the ideas that other people have put on you that is the source of guilt and shame, and it's actually got nothing to do with God. So Proverbs 22, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, even, and even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. So, I mean, that's a good verse, right? But then for me, the question is, how do I want to train my kids? What do I want them to return to? Do I want to communicate to them that, you know what, when you act up and you misbehave, you're embarrassing me, and somehow I'm codependent on, you know, your, your good behavior in order to satisfy my image or my reputation? I mean, that, that happens, unfortunately, sometimes. What, what if I'm communicating to my children, you know what, I really want you to know the difference between right and wrong, and if you make good choices, you're going to be blessed. If you make bad choices, you're going to be cursed, and you're going to be punished. And what I'm trying to do is communicate to you this sense of morality that you're going to be able to, when you grow up, you're going to make decisions based on your moral compass. Sounds good, right? But what if, what if the way that we want to train our kids, what if the way that we want them to return to is a way of grace? What if it's a way of communicating to our kids, you know what, actions do have consequences, absolutely. But do you know what happens in rebellion and disobedience? Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. What if what, the way that you want to train your child is that when he's older, he'll come back to it, is the idea that, yep, my decisions have consequences, but I would rather choose love because of its beauty and its freedom, rather than because I'm afraid of the rod. You know, spare the rod, save the child, but what about mercy triumphs over judgment? Just some different things, okay? Like, don't, don't let me be a yoke to you in terms of your parenting, you know what I mean? Don't, don't swap out the bad advice for my advice, but I'm saying, you know what? Consider what it is you want your kids to return to. Consider what it is that you're trying to train them into. I want to train my kids personally, and Jen and I, we want to train our kids into the way of grace because grace is the transformative agent in a human life. 
grace, the love of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God, that's going to take them places way farther. They're going to end up living beautiful moral lives that are so much better by just the natural overflow of the power of God inside of them than by them constantly worrying over, is this right or is this wrong? If I make this decision, is God or my parents going to hate me, be mad at me or not? That's one of the ways the Bible talks about frustrating your children when you're constantly putting on them this, this, this yoke of morality as opposed to connecting them to the inner life of Christ. Just some thoughts. The family of God is messy, not just our, like our natural families, but us. Believe it or not, we, we're messy. We really are. We, we, if I can say this, we're, we're an alphabet soup of ideas and beliefs and, and, and plans and stuff. Honestly, like we, some people believe, um, well, let's take the example that the Bible says in Romans chapter 14. In the church in, in Rome, there was a situation where some believers believed that they could eat uh, meat and other people were like, nope, that's unethical, that's wrong, don't kill the animals, that's evil. So in this, in this community, you've got like a massive wide range of differences. And it wasn't just that. It didn't stop there. Some people said, this day is holy. This day is not holy. We should celebrate this day. For other people are like, no, nah, that's religious. That's crazy. Don't do that. So in this community, you've got different ideas and different opinions, different beliefs. And maybe today that looks like, you know, being a community, a family of people with totally different, let's say, political ideas. You know, maybe we've got people in the house who are on the left. Maybe we've got people in the house who are on the right. But you know what defines us all? Our relationship to our Father. That is our first and foremost definition. That is what identifies us all. That's what holds us together, is who we are in Christ. So how do you function? How do you live in the midst of a messy society or a messy family? Romans 14, verse 13, it says, let's stop condemning each other. You know, oftentimes some of the, the problems that exist in families, whether it's the family of God or, or, or a natural family, is somebody insists on their rights. And they're right. They could be right. They could be correct. But somebody makes a, a, a moral decision and a moral stand and insists on their rights, which you're perfectly entitled to do. But listen to this. Decide instead to live in such a way that you'll not cause another believer to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. That's crazy. That means that in the family of God, there's incredible latitude for differences of opinion and, difference of, uh, and different beliefs. And somehow we can still exist together because we all look to God as the source of our identity and God is the, the common union between us is all Jesus Christ. And it actually says in here, you know what? You can be absolutely right, but do you know what the high road is? Do you know what the way of right faith is? The, the right way, <laughs> if, if I can use that word in here? It says is to not necessarily insist on your rights. I have a right to eat meat, but I won't do it because it might cause somebody to stumble. So I'll go home and I'll cook that steak when no one's looking. <laughs> and that's not... <laughs> that's, and you know what? That's, that's not a lack of integrity. That's incredible faith, incredible deference, incredible love to the people that you've been putting a family with. So, I mean, that's some stuff to, th to think about. But lastly, family is functional. Messy doesn't mean dysfunction. Messy means it's messy. Families are designed to function. You're designed to work best in function or in family. And I'd highly recommend this, but about a year ago, uh, before all the COVID stuff, uh, there was a sermon that Pastor Carl preached in our Real Asianship series called Make Your Factions Function. Or it was a sermon or it was a phrase anyways, but I was looking back over the notes at that. And uh, 
we got to make our factions function. We got to make those places of contention and faction and fighting. We got to turn those into places of, of blessing and strength. You got to make those places work in your life. We're, we're designed to function. And a uh, piece of advice I'm going to give, because the Bible, it's divided up into good news and good advice. So we're going to take some good advice from the Apostle Paul here. But, uh, and also Leo Tolstoy, Russian novelist. Wrote a book, Anna Karenina, 1878. And the opening lines of this book are, all happy families are alike, but every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. Yeah. Isn't that really good? All happy families are alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. And I think this is really true. I don't know if you know, like, just think about a discipline in life. There's usually just a few basic fundamentals to make life successful or to succeed in anything that you're doing. There's usually a couple core fundamental things that you got to get right, but literally a million ways that you can get things wrong. If you don't believe me, just golf with somebody who tries to tell you how to do it, right? They'll tell you all the 16 million ways that your swing's not working, but they've got the one way that'll fix it. There's a million ways to be unhappy. There's a million different ways to be dysfunctional, but we want to simplify. We want to clarify. We want to bring godly clarity to relational complexity. So we're going to simplify. And we're going to do this by looking at the Apostle Paul. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 to Ephesians 6, 9, he goes on this list of different relationships. Uh, husbands and wives and parents and kids and different economic relationships. And he goes through this list and he outlines, you know, this is what it can look like. This is how you should treat the other person, all this kind of stuff. But before he gets into relationships, he gives this really good piece of advice that's meant to qualify everything that comes after it. Ephesians 5.17, he says, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And here it is. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the, that's the one piece of advice that you're supposed to take that filters all the way through all those relationships. You and I are complete in Christ. We have no need and no right, really, to approach our relationships with our family or anybody else from the, with the, the intent of getting them to fill us up. We're complete in Christ daily, hourly, moment by moment. We can experience the Holy Spirit fill in our cup. And we can engage relationship and we can engage family. And our whole perspective on relationship changes from what am I getting out of this to what am I bringing to it? See, functional family works when we're engaging one another out of the overflow of Christ inside of us. And we're not looking to be filled up by one another. So the message that we need to hear for functioning family is you are complete in Christ. You are complete in Christ in every way. You are complete in Christ. Colossians 2, uh, 9 to 10, it says, In Christ lives all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There's an example for us. God himself, he decided, all that I am and all that I have, I want to pour it into my son. Jesus says, yes, I'll take that. He receives the fullness of the Father, and he comes and he ministers to us out of the fullness of what he received from his Father. Jesus didn't come to us saying, serve me. The Son of Man came to serve. So Jesus is getting filled up by his Father, and out of the abundance of who he is, he shares. The Father's showing us what relationship looks like and what fatherhood looks like to pour out and to pour into. And his Spirit lives on the inside of us. John 7, verse 38, it says, He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, and that's not, I don't have to give you 16 steps on how to do that, if you're wondering. He who believes in me. He who believes. The experience of daily being filled with the Holy Spirit, moment by moment, hour by hour being filled, is, is it's really as simple as this. Believe. I believe that I'm full. Therefore, I live full. 
when, it, when, it, when I feel like I've sprung a leak is because I forgot the fact that I was full. I've walked away from the mirror and I forgot what manner of person I was. You know what I mean? I'm full. I know I'm full. I believe I'm full. Therefore, I experience the fullness that is. So here's the step. The message to functioning family, you're complete in Christ. The step, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let God fill your cup to overflowing because it's you that's animated and flooded with the Holy Spirit that is the best contributor in relationships. That's the version of you that we're meant to bring. So just uh, in summary, uh, wow, I can't believe I did all that. And it's 11.15. 13 pages in like 29 minutes. But here's where I think it's all going. And this is, this is uh, something just leapt inside of me, hearing Pastor Carl talk at the beginning about what's going on here at Impact Church and what we're expecting God to do and the whole thing about the feasts and the move of God. And, uh, a couple of years ago, we had uh, Sean Bowles came here. And uh, he said this while he was here, and this has just kind of been burning in me ever since. But he said the next revival, the next move of God is going to look a lot like healthy family. I thought that was amazing. There is a great in-gathering that's going to happen. There's a massive moment where people are going to be awakened and realize the fatherhood of God. They're going to respond to the message of welcome home. But this time, imagine a move of God, a corporate infilling, a corporate outpouring, a, a moment of God just expressing himself in all these big, crazy ways. But imagine the urgency, the direction, the purpose, the, the telos, if you need that word, but the impetus of this infilling and this outpouring being the creation, the ingathering of a healthy family, establishing relationships of emotionally intelligent, Holy Spirit-filled people who know how to function in the power of God, but whose priority is connection with others. I think that's what God's doing in this day. I think that's what he's looking to do. If you had to ask me a question, why does revival tarry or anything like that, I think God is looking for a group of people to pour everything out of who are going to prioritize family, are going to prioritize relationship, and they're going to use all the stuff that God gives and all the glory and everything that he pours out. I mean, people falling over, all that kind of stuff, but the priority is going to be love and connection and the establishing and and expression of love. Family family. See, God's not just into showing stuff off. He's into creating family. All that stuff, it becomes subservient to how do I connect people? How do I connect in a healthy way? And how do we together in our relationships express who God is? I mean, that's, you see Jesus. It's all over the gospels. Everywhere he's going, he's doing amazing stuff, but he's adding people. He's, he's bringing people to the church. He's adding people to the church. He's bringing people and saying, come follow me. Relationship is always the goal. Connection is always the priority. And honestly, I think that's what God's doing today. I think he's, he's looking for, for a place. He's looking for a people where all this stuff can just get poured out of, but we prioritize connection. We prioritize family, and our hearts beat with his heart for family because that's what he was after from the very beginning. Family matters. It was his idea. It really was. So here's the message today. You belong. You belong in the house of God. You belong in the family of God. We might not have seen each other in the flesh for a long time, but I'll tell you what, I don't know if you had this experience today, but I mean, just seeing people. I mean, home's where your heart is, right? This building somewhere else, whatever, and God has knit my heart together with people. And I pray that you have that experience. I pray that you know and you feel welcome, and you know and you feel like you belong in the corporate presence of God and in the presence of his people. Because there's something that beats on the inside of us that says, when I'm with that people, I'm home. That's where I belong. Amen?
So that's family. <laughs> family matters. Family matters. You guys, can you guys stand up with me for a sec if you're able? Just always want to give this opportunity. I don't know if somebody here today who's maybe uh, never been able to say, I know that I belong in the house of God. I know that God is my father. I know that I belong. I know that he accepts me. Maybe that's something that's dawned on your heart today. Maybe that's something that you've come to realize this morning. If it is, I just want to ask you real quick, every eye closed and head bowed, if you don't mind, just close your eyes. Give somebody a moment here. Just put up your hand and just say, yeah, I accept that. I accept that God accepts me. I see for the first time the fatherhood of God. And you know what? If that's you, if you've done that, if you're here and you're online there on, on, at home or whatever, watching online now or later, if you're able to say that, if you're able to say, I see that, I recognize that I belong in the house of God and that God is my father. You know, the Bible says that you can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. If you're able to embrace that and accept that, something powerful has already happened on the inside of you. So let me just say it to you right now. You belong in the house of God. You have a place. God is your father. You have a place in his house, and you are welcome. So, Father, I pray today, I pray for every person. I pray that each one of us here today, Lord, comes to know by experience the love of God, that each one of us on the inside would internally just feel the Holy Spirit testifying on, on the inside of us at the depths of who we are, that we are, in fact, the children of God. What an amazing revelation. What an amazing moment. And I pray, Father, that that testifying Holy Spirit would continue to just manifest in our hearts and just beat on the inside of us constantly this week, pulsating inside of us. You belong. You belong. You're a child of the Most High. You're a child of God Almighty. And may your life and your world and your own sense of self be completely caught up in the fact that you belong to God. And may the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit and the love that God has for you as his child be incredibly real to you this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, I think that we've got prayer in the house today, too. I think if you need prayer today, we'll have some people up here who can do the, the safe, socially distanced thing where we can pray from six feet apart. It works, I promise. There's still online prayer. If you're watching online, you can go to impactlondon.ca, and we've got our, our online Zoom lobby. We've got online prayer rooms for you to go to. But uh, if you haven't been here before, the drill is on the way out. We're just going to go out the door to my right, your left, walk down the hallway, turn left, and you'll be able to find your way out. If you're, if you're a guest with us today, thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. And uh, in your guest pack, you'll have a, a little card. If you want to just fill it out and drop it in the bucket on the way out, that would be great. But bless you guys. It was really, really good to see you all. And we'll see you uh, next week in person or online. <laughs>